All right, and welcome back to the Blaze Experience, everyone. I'm glad you're here joining us again. Today, we have episode number 23 for you. And for the first time in a while, we are back to talk some more Sea of Thieves. It's been actually at least six weeks since we talked about Sea of Thieves, but we're getting back into it because there is a new DLC out today. Well, technically not today. It launched about a week ago. It's called the Curse Sales DLC, and we'll be talking about the Curse Sales DLC. But before we actually get into that, I just have a couple of notes about the podcast really fast. I do want to mention that, as always, our new episode for State of Decay 2 will be out on Saturday. And then I do want to mention that I will be streaming on Friday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern for State of Decay 2. So definitely check that out. And on Friday, I will do some streaming for that. But that's all I have for notes on the podcast. So I do actually have a guest today. Our guest is coming from one of the podcasts, New Hampshire Network Podcast. I do mention that network pretty much every show. And this guest is from the We Need to Talk podcast. Please welcome in Meter. How are you doing, Meter? Hey, Derek. How's it going? Pretty good. Yourself? Not too bad. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Definitely appreciate it. And I definitely enjoyed being a guest on your show when I was a guest on your show. Yeah, you were on for uh, a couple of different episodes, and they were both outstanding episodes. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really enjoyed being there, and it was definitely fun to be on them, and hopefully this one goes well, too. So I'm sure it will. <laughs> but if you want to tell the audience a little bit about your podcast, it's called We Need to Talk. You want to tell them a little bit about it? Yeah. So the, the main idea is that we take a topic, and uh, and we deep dive into it. It's me and my best friend, Nathan Pepin, um, and we'll often have on other guests, such as uh, as Derek. Um, or, you know, I've had my, my mom on, I've had most of my family on at one time or another to talk about different things. And we talk about everything from, uh, uh you know, I, I think one of our taglines is, uh, the show hosted by two best friends where nothing is off limits. So we've talked about euthanasia and we've talked about sandwiches. So he got pretty much the whole spectrum. <laughs> it's definitely a wide array of topics. I've listened to a lot of them and there's so many different topics you talk about. So it's nice. Well, thank you. Um, so definitely, definitely check it out if uh, if that sounds like something you might be interested in. Um, I, I guarantee there's going to be an episode that uh, that you'd be interested in. We talked about video games with Eric. Um, that might be a good place to start. Definitely. I mean, I think listeners of this podcast will definitely enjoy that. So that could probably be a good introductory episode to you. And are there any other episodes that you'd recommend personally? Uh, I usually suggest the Virginity Stories episode. It uh, it has on one of my good friends, Matt Drew. And him, Pepin, and myself all tell about the real, true stories about how we lost our virginities, and it's uh, it, it's pretty detailed, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. I definitely enjoyed that one too. So it's definitely a good episode to check out. And one of my personal favorites is the Time Machine Regrets episode. That's episode sixty-three, and I think this one's kind of a good episode for people trying to get a feel for like a typical episode of the show. And I know um, you had B on for that episode, and you, Hefen, and B all talked about some time machine regrets from your past. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that was a great episode, so I, I appreciate you bringing that one up. Definitely a highlight and uh, and one to check out if you haven't yet, but I mean, we got 113 episodes and uh, with another one dropping on Monday, so um, as far as, as content goes, you'll be, you'll be stated for quite a while. Definitely. I know I've only about a third of the way through, and I've been listening to them every day pretty much, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for that. <laughs> no problem. And I do want to mention, too, I definitely want to give these guys a plug on their intro. Their intro is one of the best intros I've ever heard in a podcast, so you do an oh. amazing intro. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. We, we cemented that pretty early, and uh, we've ridden it ever since. <laughs> 
no, it definitely works quite well. So definitely check it out, at least for that intro, if nothing else. <laughs> awesome. Give it give it the first 30 seconds. If yes, you're not exactly. Hooked, you, can, you can bail. <laughs> exactly. But as I said, we are here to talk about some Sea of Thieves today. So we'll kind of get into that. Um, what was your first experience with Sea of Thieves? Did you play it like in the betas at all? Or did you actually just start on launch day? Or when did you first start it? My first technical experience was watching another uh, a popular YouTuber just play the game um and it was back when it was in the beta so there was a lot of stuff in that that isn't in it now um but i actually didn't own an xbox until uh june and that, this was the first game i purchased and and i started playing it with uh with a group of friends uh from tpc which is three player co-op another popular gaming podcast i definitely recommend um and i've only ever played with with a bunch of other people who were experts the guy was almost a pirate legend by the time i joined yeah i'm definitely not a legend yet because i mean i haven't had enough time to play to get to legend but i mean i would consider myself experienced enough because i did play in the closed beta and open beta so i definitely have a lot of experience from way back then and lately i haven't played as much because i've had other games to try out too but I definitely did try out this new DLC, and I love this new DLC so far. Yeah, I mean, th this game all around is so well built, and I love that now, like, it, it seems that the trend now, you used to release a game and it'd be done, and then maybe you add some, some DLC and you charge people for it. Now it seems you release a game before it's done, and then you continue to add DLC for free to keep people playing, uh, and I think that, that uh, model has worked extremely well. Um, in the, the current age. No, yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think that's really a nice model to use nowadays because you don't have all those DLC transactions where you used to have to pay, you know, oh, I paid 20 for this DLC, 20 for this DLC. And by the end of the year, you end up paying, you know, up to $200 for the game when you already paid 60 to start. So I definitely like this new trend. Absolutely. I mean, I'd even be willing to, like, I play uh, a lot of the sports games like the, the NHL. I'd be willing to, instead of every year, you know, having them drop an entire new game where I pay more money for it, have a subscription service where I pay X amount every year and they continually update it rather than having to wait a year for them to fix all the bugs. And I think games like this do that, except Sea of Thieves, you know, you pay once and that's it. Right. I agree. And I think the sports teams are the perfect example of what you'd want to do for that because, I mean, buying the new Madden every year, like there's really not that much that's changed every year. So... I think it would be a lot better for the players to actually just have like an up. Okay, here's the new roster. You know, pay ten dollars a year for the new roster or something like that. Mm. I think that'd be a lot better. But unfortunately, I don't think they'd ever want to do that because they're making so much money off of them already. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> but who knows what what demand will will change there? And I just think I think with Sea of Thieves, they they've really nailed it. They really got it right. And and I think Rare is back in a huge way. I agree, and I think this game was great and. We haven't really heard a lot of, you know, great games from Rare until this one because they're working on a lot of Kinect games and the Kinect kind of flopped a little bit for Microsoft. So this is their first big game in a while. And I think it's a game that they want to focus on, you know, really hardcore. And I think it's a great game for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I know in uh, in the episode on my show, Nick Stewart, my buddy who was on with with you, Derek, said that we talked about Rare briefly uh, and he said that Rare was was the golden boy of uh, of the N64 era dropping some of the, the greatest classics of all time. And, uh, I mean, I would agree with that. And then they kind of disappeared. They they released, like you said, some Kinect games. They released, like, Viva Mata was a good game. But other than that, they've they've kind of been in the back burner. 
Um, and, and it's just great to see them come back in such a huge, huge way with the real feel of a rare game. Definitely. I mean, they had some games in the past that were like, you know, really staples. I mean, just to name one, you know, Donkey Kong Country is one of my favorite games of all time. And they worked on that game. So Donkey Kong Country is amazing. I, I think the game, ironically enough, that I would compare the most to Sea of Thieves is Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny you say that because they actually did release a figurehead for Banjo-Kazooie and Sea of Thieves. So it is out there. Then, you know, hopefully you already purchased it. Cause I don't think you can purchase it anymore, but it was purchasable at one point. I, I did indeed. I think one of the biggest things about Ben, not to completely hijack the show here. I know we got some bullet points we definitely want to hit. Um, but I, I was just so excited when when I started playing this game and there's there's story and the music is amazing and you're doing collectible missions but they don't feel that way because there's so much in between and it just everything felt together and so complete and it reminded me so much and I don't even like Banjo-Kazooie as a game I don't like collecty games but everything in this reminded me of all of the best parts of Banjo-Kazooie in and what to me really feels like rare as a company and it was just nice to see that and to to be able to relive that in, in, in a way. No, I agree. And I think it is a great game. And I think Sea of Thieves kind of, you know, is a great game in its own. I mean, what are some of the things that are sort of unique for you about Sea of Thieves that you haven't really felt in a lot of games in a while? Um, well, you know, I, I played some, some Destiny 2 as well. And the music, the scoring in Destiny 2 is outstanding. But there's something about Sea of Thieves that they just got completely right on every level, you know. You hear the Megalodon music start, you hear the, the Kraken music start, you go to certain islands and you hear, you're hearing different music, you're able to play your own instruments and then other instruments join in on the same song you're playing. It's just uh, the, the music score takes me directly into the game every time. Even the loading Absolutely. menu is really good. And honestly, like the visuals are just so crisp in it too. I mean, the way the sky and the water looks, like I've never seen water look this good before. Oh my god, the water physics and, and the, the look of the water is what I show off when I'm showing people the Xbox One X uh, the, as the most powerful you know console on the planet. This is the game I show them to show them the water physics and, and what they've been able to do. It's absolutely beautiful when you get a sunset or a sunrise on that water. Oh my goodness, nothing like yeah, it. It's just amazing. I mean, the lighting aspects too, like even just the sky, like the sky looks amazing when the, you know, the light changes from night to day. It just looks perfect. It does. It does. Smooth transition, yet you hardly even notice it, and then all of a sudden it's it's night out. I agree. I mean, and nighttime is actually really cool in the game, too, how they change things. You know, the skeletons operate a little bit different. It's really cool, actually. It is. Absolutely. But we did say that this episode's going to be a lot about some cursed sales. So what did you find when you first tried cursed sales? What was your initial experience? You know, how did you feel about it when you first tried it? Yeah, so I jumped, uh, I jumped into a galleon with uh with three other with two other people who hadn't done the curse sales event yet and one who had already you know fought some ships and done all of the the books and stuff to unlock it so she kind of walked us through um going to all of the things i didn't really read any of the books or anything i just went and they said click here click here click here and i just ran through it so we could get the battling ships because that's what i really wanted to do i myself yeah, am not here. particularly story heavy no i mean i do love story but I just wanted to get into battling ships because I didn't have a ton of time available. So I'm just like, okay, let's go battle some ships. You know, let's do this. And I know one of the things to start it, you have to like find one of the red flags on an outpost and 
kind of click on that to see, okay, which skeleton crew am I going to face? And that is cool how they did that. But I don't know if you found this when you tried it. I really didn't like how, like, when I tried it, it said, okay, August 11th to whatever date you, that's when you have to face them. And in-game, it was August 4th when I clicked on this. So I literally had to wait seven days in-game to actually try it. And that was really annoying to me where I had to just sit in-game for seven days and wait for it. Yeah, uh, we had we had kind of the opposite effect where it said, you know, you have until this date. And uh, we only had like a day to get there and start fighting. Oh, and, right, yeah. And we got there, we started fighting, and then uh, all of a sudden the ships just sank back into the water. And we're like, did we win or... Oh, the day the days went by and we we weren't even able to do the battle. Yeah, see, I think like we'll get into the battle itself in a little bit. But I mean, I think the way they set that up, you know, definitely needs to be worked on because it really felt frustrating to me that I literally had to wait seven days to even start it. So it must have been like right at the end of the last one when I actually tried to play it. And it was just really annoying because I had my ship loaded up. We were all just kind of sitting around. OK, well, you know, oh, another day passed. Still can't do it yet. So. We had to just sit there waiting and we couldn't actually do it. And I guess kind of like you were saying, you had the opposite effect where you got to do it right away, but then it ended on you. So I think the way they timed that really needs to be worked on and maybe some kind of way where it's not, you know, so timed where you can actually just jump in the game and play it. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. And I know you mentioned, you know, you had your ship loaded up. I think that's a huge part of this event. I know when we fought the Megalodon, it was a little, it, we had, we actually had uh, the, um, because you had to have two crews and there was no alliance system yet. We had to have a sloop helping us out just so we could launch the Megalodon. Right. But it, it didn't use all of our resources to, to fight it versus the skeleton ships. We were out, 100% out of cannonballs and planks. And we were let at like 15 bananas left. Um, yeah, so, we are the same way. <laughs> so, so it seems like having... While having a second ship isn't necessary like it was with Megalodon, in a way, it kind of is because it's almost impossible to beat without it. No, I agree. Cause, I mean, I haven't actually tried an alliance yet. We just kind of went out, you know, a three man boat by ourselves and on Brigantine. And I haven't tried the alliance system yet, but it seems like you pretty much need an alliance system to beat this. Because from what I found, I mean, we got through a couple of ships, but like in order to beat all the waves together, like, I don't see how you can do this without an alliance. Absolutely. You mentioned the Brigantine. I myself have not sailed on one yet. I jumped on board one and stole all their treasure, but I haven't actually sailed on one. Can you tell me a little bit about the Brigantine? Yeah, definitely. The Brigantine is basically a ship that's kind of in between the sloop and the galleon. And the sloop, you know, you have one sail. It's meant for, you know, one or two people. The galleon, you obviously have three sails, and it's meant for a four-man crew. The Brigantine is basically designed to be that in-between ship. So if you just have three friends, it's kind of designed for a three-person ship, and it's designed more for that experience. So you basically have two sails, and there's only one deck, essentially. You know how, like, on the sloop and the galleon, you can go up to the helm of the wheel, and it's kind of, like, raised up a little more? Yes, sir. Well, on the Brigantine, it's actually really unique because it's on the same deck as everything else. So it's just, like, one flat deck, pretty much, and... The wheel is just right on that deck, so it's not raised up anymore. So that is one of the interesting effects of it because you know, the wheel sits a lot lower, so you can't really see as much. So you have to rely on your crew a little more because you can't see as well since the wheel is a little bit lower on, on the ship. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So you have to like flip the sails up and everything? 
Yeah, uh, what I would had to do when I was driving a little bit is have the sail, you know, that was closest to me a little bit higher in the air. That way I could actually see what was going on because you really can't see if the sails are right in front of you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, my confusion is why they would come out with the Brigantine. I wish they'd come out with some, with a six-man ship instead of a three because you can sail a galleon with three people pretty easily if they know what they're doing. I mean, you could, right. I've sailed them with two people before and who are who are proficient, but... A six and ship right now is impossible. I would have liked to have seen that a little bit more than a, a three. Yeah, I think it's just something where I guess a lot of people from the community were wanting an in-between ship more. So I think that's why they went with this. I mean, I don't think a six-person ship is out of the question in the future, but I think this is just what they designed first because that's what the community seemed to want. But I, guess I mean, the- I definitely agree with you that the galleon, you can sail it with less people like I've even sailed the galleon by myself before, not for very long, of course, but I, I did do it for a little while, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I guess the, I guess their resolution to that would be the alliance system, which honestly, I haven't done, done anything as far as the alliance system goes either. Can you tell me anything about the alliance system? Yeah, I don't know a ton about it yet. Um, I do know that basically you can kind of come to an agreement with another crew and there's a way to actually engage the alliance, so you both agree to it, and then you're in an alliance, and that alliance lasts until, you know, say, like, the curse sale, it lasts until the event ends, and then basically once the event ends, I think your alliance officially terminates, and because I watched some videos on this, and I guess after it terminates, then people can turn on each other, so, like, all the loot's going to be in the water, and then you have the choice whether you want to turn on each other, but for that period you're kind of in an alliance. So I think it's like a temporary thing, and then you can turn on each other afterwards. I think I heard some people in uh, in one of my parties saying that regardless of whether you're in an alliance or not, you can still fight each other, and it all it does is just break the alliance, So which I found very interesting. I haven't heard officially if that's how that works, but it would make sense to me because, I mean, it would seem kind of weird. Like, say you're in an alliance and you got on to their ship, it would seem weird to me that you can't actually damage them at all. So it, I think it would take a lot of game mechanics and, you know, new game coding to make that happen. So it makes sense that you'd actually be able to hurt each other still if you wanted to. Yeah, but I mean, it, to me, that seems like, well, then what's the point of the alliance? Like we were we were doing the same thing back when they they made us to do a lot of these um, when you had the the explosive barrel uh, events that we had to do in order to get the commendations or the megalodon when it first came up and you had to actually go to the event you had to do it with other people which was the same thing except it didn't officially call it an alliance it was just a you know a a pirate alliance you guys are still at odds in in a way right yeah and that's kind of how i'm feeling too i mean i don't see the point to it as much because kind of like you were saying i mean back with the hungering deep and things you still had to unofficially ally with the crew i mean whether they want or like say you're doing a fort and you want to align with someone at a fort well, you're still kind of in an unofficial alliance. I mean, whether you make it official or not, you know, people can still screw you over. So I don't really see the point as much. I mean, maybe there's something I'm missing here, though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Now, I know as far as the DLC goes, the the whole point is to, you know, you go around, you read books and all of that, like you like you did with the, the Hungering Deep. And then you're, it tells you go to certain coordinates on the map and you fight skeleton ships which rise up out of the ocean and those look so cool when it happens yeah they look amazing honestly and when you first see it rise out of the ocean because like the music that you're talking about earlier the music starts first and you're looking around you're like oh shit where are they where Mm -hmm. are they you know they're around somewhere and then they just pop up out of the water it's like whoa they popped up right next to me 
Yeah, and sometimes we had one one instance where it popped up and literally immediately put a hole in our ship because the ships crashed into each other. But the, <laughs> the music is such a great cue, and then like you're saying, it pops up out of the ocean, and everyone on the ship is yelling "port, port, port." It, yeah, it's very exciting. They're very well done. No, I agree, and I think the AI and these skeleton ships is amazing too because I don't know if you experienced this too, but. At one point, you know, we were putting so many holes into this ship, but they must have been repairing so fast because they still weren't sinking. I'm like, dang, this AI is good because they're actually repairing super fast. Absolutely. And they do. They repair wicked, wicked fast. But they have so many more people on board, so many more crew members that they have people down. All they're doing is repairing. And then they have people shooting shooting uh, the cannonballs at us at the same time. Right. So it, it makes it so you have to send somebody on board their ship. To be fighting the people, the skeletons in the who are repairing to prevent them from repairing while you're trying to sink them. Yeah, see, uh, my crew, we didn't really get a chance to board their ship too often. I mean, it was a couple times we did, but basically I had a three-man crew. There was myself and another experienced player, but we were actually fighting with a brand new player who was his first time playing the game. So it was you know definitely a little more difficult in that sense, but I mean, he did... You know, he fared well for a first time player, but it just made it so like it was harder to actually get onto their ship because we didn't have someone that was as experienced. Wow. That must have been insane. The first time <laughs> the was. first time I played was the Hungering Deep. Um, so I, I definitely get how that must have felt. Oh my goodness. What what an exciting time to join though when you're fighting skeleton ships on the open sea. Yeah, definitely. And I mean this player, um I'll, his name was Joe, and he actually really impressed us at one point because there's one point, kind of like you were mentioning earlier, where we were out of cannonballs, we were out of planks, our ship had holes in it, and there was other, like, you know, human ships in the area. So, kind of our theory was, okay, let's just try and get on their ship and just help them out, because our ship is going down. So, uh, me and the experienced guy, we both jumped off to try to board um, someone else's ship, and we missed, and we landed in the water. And the newer player, he was actually still on our ship. Eventually, you know, sharks got us or something, we died. We spawned back on our ship, and he was still alive with the ship like intact. And I'm like, how did you keep bailing water out this fast? Like, how did you keep the ship afloat? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, good for him. Yeah, I'd keep him alive. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, I, we were definitely impressed. We're like, you know, where'd Joe go? Did Joe die? And then we spawned back on the ship. Like, wow, you kept the ship afloat? <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Now, And that brings me to, to something that we haven't talked about yet, another new mechanic. And that's the cursed cannonballs. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, definitely. The cursed cannonballs are amazing. And there's a lot of different cursed cannonballs that they do different effects to you when you they get fired at you. One of them is like a grog cannonball that makes you drunk. And another one is like a cannonball that makes you dance. So there's definitely a lot of different cursed cannonballs. And each crew has kind of like their signature cannonball. So just going over a couple of the crews, there's a crew of the foul grog, which is the one that we face. There's a crew of cursed holes. And the crew of the Dancing Demon, those are the ones that are currently available right now. By the time this episode drops, those ones won't be available anymore. But those are the current ones available, and they all have, like, their own cannonball. Did you experience a lot of different types of these cannonballs? Uh, I experienced, too, one, the Dancing Demon, which, when it makes you dance, it is the most frustrating thing in the world. You have, you're down trying to repair. There's holes in your ship th flowing in so much water. And I, I'm trying to repair, and then all of a sudden I start dancing. And the dancing can <laughs> last 30, 45, even up to a minute. 
and I'm just standing there while water's pouring in, and there's nothing I can do, and our entire crew is dancing. It, it's got to be funny in some ways when it first happens, though, like, just to, oh, crap, now I'm dancing. Like, because I didn't actually face that one, so I could just imagine the first time it hits you, it's like, wait, I'm dancing now? What's going on? It's funny right <laughs> up until your ship is at the bottom of the ocean. I, I can understand that, yeah. I can definitely understand that. I mean, because, like, we faced the one with the grog cannonballs, and from what I've heard from other players, this, you know, is potentially the hardest one to face because when you get hurt with hit with a drunk cannonball you obviously go drunk you can't really do things as effectively so like i'm drunk i'm trying to repair the ship and i go to repair the wall but i'm so drunk that i fall off the wall and i stop repairing so like it makes it really difficult because you're trying to repair and things and you're too drunk to actually do it you know you can't aim the cannonballs you can't fight as well you know, if you're steering, it's not as bad steering because at least, you know, takes away the effect of your steering. But that's like the only thing you can still do pretty much. Yeah, I I didn't face that one. Uh, the other one I faced was the, the locked steering wheel. Um, it, it just locked your steering wheel so you could only turn it like one or two pegs instead of being able to turn it, you know, all the way. So it made it very difficult, obviously, to to move anywhere. But a lot of times. We were just locked in a in a spin anyway, so we could continue to fire on the ship. So it didn't really have that much of an effect on our tactics. Right, yeah. I would think that one wouldn't be that bad because unless like you're about to hit a rock or something, then it would kind of suck. You're obviously going to you know, smash into the rocks. You can't move. But I mean, other than that, I wouldn't really think it'd be that bad because like the skeletons are going to kind of follow you around anyways. Uh, I mean, it, it is and it isn't. So a lot of what the skeleton crews did, what we found was they they would adjust so if we were doing a circle around them and continually pelting them with fireball or cannonballs they would adjust and they would start turning in the opposite direction so that they were circling us and we couldn't hit them so we had to keep turning back and forth in order to to prevent that because they were adjusting right definitely i think that's what's cool about this ai too is this ai seems really good that they're going to adjust whatever tactics you use i mean when I got to facing two ships at once, it was crazy because, you know, both ships pawn on you on either side. You're like, uh, what do I do here? There's two ships on either side of me. So it's definitely a lot more difficult when you actually have two of them on you, too. So, so difficult. And one of the, you know, we're, we're saying that how good the AI is. And then at this, in the same token, we had instances where we would, uh, we would, you know, ro- rope around a rock in order to, to get a, a moment of breath so we could do, do our repairs and in doing so, the ship would sail straight at us and crash directly into the rock and sink itself. Which does help. I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the, Or they'd crash into each other. Or, I mean, the ships a lot of times would try and ram right into you, especially when there were two of them. But sometimes you could get out of the way and then they'd run right into their own guy. Or Right. Um, so, I mean, for, for every good thing that the ship does, there's an equally bad one that I'm sure probably mirrors, you know, a human-controlled ship pretty well. True. I mean, as far as the AI goes, I would say like the AI is great at everything besides steering is what I found. I mean, you know, they're, they're great at like repairing and they're great at shooting you with cannonballs. But the steering, I think, you know, the AI for the steering is like a little bit off. But I guess that kind of counterbalances everything else. Well, another fun thing you can do as well is when you get on their ship or if you're, you're good enough aiming with the cannonballs, you can actually shoot the, the person at the helm um, who's a, actually a, a captain. Uh, you know, they get the red name over their head and everything, and you can kill them. Right. They do respawn, but it takes, you know, X amount of time. And in that amount of time, you know, they they don't have any steering and they're, the people on the ship don't have as good a direction. So they it actually is beneficial to kill the captain and then, you know, 
pelt them with cannonballs down low. Which we did actually kill the captain once, but we just weren't in a position to really take advantage of it. So unfortunately, mm. it didn't do much for us, but we did actually take out the captain once. So it was nice, but... Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, the captain, like like you'd imagine, he's very strong. He's got a blunderbuss. So if you jump on his ship, he's he's walks right up to you and then shoots you in the face. Uh, but you can stun lock him as well. So uh, there's definitely ways to to get around it and to, to take him out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've heard strategy wise that is a good tactic to do is if you're on a three man ship, have one person on your ship, have one person steering and then have one person on the enemy ship and I think that sounds good in theory, just in our situation, it was kind of difficult because, you know, we had Joe who didn't really know the game as well yet, so it was a little bit more difficult, but I think that is a good theory and tactic. Yeah, I mean, every plan's great until it's punched in the face. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> and like the person that's on the enemy's ship, like they have to be a damn good fighter because you're going to get surrounded by skeletons pretty fast. So you have to be a damn good fighter to survive that. That's absolutely true. They They surround you very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I was more the guy steering the ship most of the time, so I didn't get in the enemy ship as much. But, I mean, for my friend who got on there, he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> they're coming after me. Half of them got guns, half of them got swords, and they're all coming at you at once. They come up from the bottom deck sometimes to help out. So sometimes it's as easy as running down below deck and doing a lap and then going back up, and that's enough to all of the, all of the skeleton crew who is repairing on the mid-deck will stop doing that to chase you. Uh, and sometimes right, you can pull them nice. up top, and then you can sink them pretty quick that way. No, that's definitely nice, and I, I think that's where the tactic actually flourishes, is that you distract them long enough to take advantage of it. So you just have to all be you know, ready to take advantage, and I think that's kind of where the alliance is coming to play more, because if one ship can kind of distract them long enough, the other ship can sink them. Absolutely. Now, there's there's a whole bunch of commendations that I haven't unlocked. Have you unlocked any of them? Unfortunately, no, because, I mean, we didn't actually win. Did you win when you faced the skeletons? No, sir. Yes, yeah, so all of these you have to pretty much win to do. But, I mean, basically each of the you know regions of Sea of Thieves, they all have commendations. And uh, the Shores of Plenty, the Ancient Isles, and the Wilds, if you win in each of those regions, then you get a commendation. And each ship, if you win with that ship, you get a combination as well. So if you win with the sloop, if you win the galleon, or if you win with the brigantine, then you get a combination for that. But you have to actually defeat the skeletons in order to win. And with these skeletons, which one thing we didn't mention yet, there's supposed to be five waves of skeleton ships, and each wave has one or two ships. So basically you have to get through all of these waves in succession in order to win. And I can't confirm this because I didn't make it that far, but I have heard that the final wave can have three ships, which sounds crazy. That does sound absolutely wild. I, I know we made it to either the fourth or the fifth wave, uh, but it was like one ship, then two, then one, then two. And and like by that time, you're completely out of all supplies. Right. You're exactly. jumping on their yeah. ship. You're fighting, stealing as much of their supplies as possible before you die, spawning back on your ship, using them immediately. And then you have to jump overboard again. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that might be needed to you know be tweaked with this kind of thing is the supply situation. I mean, Obviously, you know, it's up to you to stock your ship well enough before you go into the fight, but the fight lasts so long that you're going to run out of supplies. So, like, I think it would be a good feature to have something where maybe you pay, you know, okay, pay a thousand gold, we'll restock your ship for you out in the sea. Like, mm. I think it'd be good to have something like that where you can actually restock on the sea because this event lasts so long that it's kind of hard. I think the, the main goal of so, so uh, rare in general, I believe that their biggest goal is to have people playing together. But what they've found is that people naturally want to fight each other on the open seas. 
it seems like a lot of the events that they've created and a lot of the new DLC has been around based around people working together. Uh, so I, I think they keep trying to push people to work together. And in this instance, I think that they, I mean, with the alliance, they drop the alliances at the same time for a reason. They want people to be going in with more than one ship. And that really would, you know, it doubles the amount of supplies you have. I think that's really their main goal. Right. I agree. It's just, it's not a, you know, it's easier said than done to get people to work together because in our fight, I don't know if you had other ships in yours, but there was like two other ships around the area and we kept using the megaphone to shout out to them, you know, hey, we're out of supplies, you know, can we get on your ship to like help you out? And no one would really respond to us. We're like, well, uh, okay, I guess we'll just keep you know, trying to survive here. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we weren't able to get an alliance going. We ran into uh, one, there was a brigantine taking on two ships at once in the middle of his battle or, or their battle. I don't know if it was a he. And we just rolled in and started helping out. We didn't ask any questions. We just did it. But they were either out of supplies or really, really bad because they sunk really fast. And then it was just us. So it was like we had just started it ourselves. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing, too. Like I mentioned, Joe kept our ship afloat at one point and we got back there. And like everyone was either like gone or dead. And we're like, OK, well, I guess we're on our own. Yeah. And it was kind of funny, too. Um, At one point, we had no cannonballs and no planks left. So we had one person steering, one person constantly bailing. And, you know, the th third person would kind of just help out where they were needed. But we actually ended up sinking one of the ships with no cannonballs and no planks. Like, we rammed them and we T-boned them and they just sunk. So it was kind of crazy that we actually sunk a ship without any cannonballs at all. That is. That's impressive, Derek. <laughs> yeah. I was like, really shocked when it happened. I mean, like, I'm like, wow, we, we T-boned them and they're down? I mean, hey, we got a ship down. So <laughs> Now, I've heard rumor of other cannonballs, other crew types, cursed cannonballs, do you know anything about any of the upcoming ones? I don't know what they're going to be based on exactly, but I do know the names of them. Like, I know basically how this event is set up is, you know, every week there's going to be new ships you can face, like new crews. So when by the time this episode drops, the ones that we face won't be available anymore because this is going to drop on a Wednesday. So on Wednesday, there will be uh, three new crews you can face, and these crews will be the crew of the Enslaving Chain, the crew of the Treacherous Bounty, and the crew of the Fiel Stride. And I assume, based on the ones we face, that they're going to have their own cannonball types as well. But I don't exactly know what those will be yet, because I think that's been kind of close to the vest, which ones they'll have. But I would assume each one's going to have their own cannonball type. Do we want to speculate at all? Yeah, let, let's do it. I mean, what would you think the Treacherous Bounty might do? That's a good question. I am, I'm not sure. Maybe have more people on it or a stronger ship to go against um maybe it won't have to do with the cannonballs necessarily and maybe it'll have to do more with the the ship itself because uh, a lot of these like dancing demon and foul grog uh cursed holes those kind of tell you exactly what they're about um, right exactly but treacherous bounty doesn't i mean it, it, that's dangerous loot like it doesn't necessarily mean anything as far as a, a cannonball goes that i can think of yeah, to me, it's kind of hard to speculate on that one, too. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, maybe like if you win, then when it drops bounty in the water, like maybe some of that bounty is cursed and, you know, it, it damages your ship when you try to bring it back or something. That's, maybe it's something to do with that. That's smart. Maybe it has something to do with um, they they when a cannonball hits you, it lowers your supply levels. Yeah, it could be something like that. I mean. That one, is, to me, is kind of hard to speculate on because it could be really anything with that. And it doesn't seem like it's, you know, tied to a specific cannonball. So 
you know, maybe these next crews won't be cannonball specific. Maybe they'll be, you know, something else. But I mean, from what we have to go on so far, I would assume there's some kind of cannonball involved with them. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think uh, enslaving chain could be, uh, you know, you get a you get a chain wrapped around your leg. Basically, you can only move X amount of distance, or maybe not even at all. Right, or or maybe you know, a vision I have for that one too is enslaving chain. If you get hit by one of those cannonballs, maybe the game like automatically makes you start fighting your crewmates or something. That would be kind of crazy. Ooh, that would be crazy. That's wild. I didn't even think <laughs> of that. Yeah, so it's kind of like a mind control thing where you know, like you get hit by an enslaving cannonball and then you start fighting. We're like, no, stop fighting me! <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like you have to. That's that would be cool. Feels that would be interesting. Str- feels stride. Do you think that could uh, slow the top speed of your of your ship? That's kind of what I was thinking too. Is it has to do with speed somehow? I mean, either you know, it's obviously a cannonball, so it can't be upgrading your opponent's speed. So I would assume it slows your speed down. So it probably slows you down to a crawl and then. They can kind of wrap around you however they want. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's definitely going to be exciting one way or the other. No, I agree. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see what these actually bring to the table because each crew so far has been very different. So I'm excited to find out what these crews bring. It has been. So do you know if any of these are supposed to drop for PvP at any point as far as the cannonballs go? I believe they are supposed to be included afterwards, yes. After the event ends, I think they're going to include them afterwards. Just it usually takes them like a week or two to figure out how to design that to, you know, go in the game afterwards. But basically how the Hungering Deep after that ended, you can now face the Meg in game again. It's something like that where they're going to bring it back into the game. Just they have to figure out how they want to bring it back to the game after the event ends. Yeah, it would be wild to to go against, you know, PvP and be hit by multiple cursed cannonball types so let's say you get the foul grog and the the dancing demon you're stuck dancing you come out and you're drunk like that would just be absolutely insurmountable no definitely and i think it's really going to change pvp too because you can hoard all these cannonballs on your ship and if you get into an encounter then you could use these cursed cannonballs and really take you know advantage of the situation so the crew that you're facing they might be better at pvp technically but you can use these to kind of tip the balance in your favor Absolutely. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the Meg earlier and how they implemented it into the main game. When uh, when I mentioned we rolled up on that brig who is facing two pirate ships at the same time, I forgot to mention that the Megalodon was also a part of that fight. Uh, so they uh, one brigadine <laughs> was fighting the 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 Megalodon and two cursed sailing ships at the same time. Yeah, I wonder if that's like almost a you know upgraded chance of that happening because we actually saw meg when we did our fight too i mean we kind of just sailed away from him because we obviously couldn't you know spend time fighting the meg and the skeleton at the same time so we eventually sailed out of his grasp but i don't know if that's like something that they upgraded you know the chance of that happening when you actually go to that area maybe maybe it had something to do with the that they have the meg be uh a, a x amount of chance that the meg spawns and fights against your ship and since most ships are heading to that area, the Meg is just more likely to to attack that specific area. Yeah, that, that could be it, too. So, I mean, it definitely makes it harder, though, with the Meg involved. I mean, we just tried to not, not anger him too much. So we were like, don't shoot the Meg. Don't shoot him. We don't want to anger him because we already have enough to deal with. <laughs> we, we were saying the same exact thing. And then yeah. <laughs> the skeleton ship at one point hit the Meg. And we're like, yes, now he's going to attack them. No, nope, it came at us in any way. 
we actually had the Meg attack one of the skeleton ships at one point, so it was nice. It was like, oh, yes, go Meg, help us out. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> so it was really cool to have the Meg help us out for like half a second. I mean, it was only like one attack, but hey, one attack is better than nothing. And the Meg does a lot of damage. It puts a lot of holes in your boats fast. Definitely. So it was nice. I mean, in terms of taking out ships, though, you said you got to about the third or fourth base. How many ships do you think you took out? Uh, there was one round one. There was two round two. Um, I believe there was two the second round, or maybe maybe there was only one, two, four. I'd say we faced six. Um, but I think when when we faced the 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 two, um, the second time when we were out of out of supplies, that's when we started getting pelted with the dancing. We were doing right, fine, yeah. but the dancing cannonballs just sunk us. There was nothing we could do. Yeah, and for us, I mean, it was basically a supply situation that killed us because we had no supplies to use at all. I mean. We got through, I think we killed four ships, and then I think the fifth or sixth ship is when we actually died. So, you know, we made it pretty deep, kind of like you did, but we just had no supplies to work with at that point. So I think the supply situation is really something that makes this more difficult than you think it is. No, absolutely. And I mean, supplies on were the issue for one of the times I did this. I've, I've done this on two different occasions. And the second time, it was the dancing cannonballs that did us in. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm thinking, too, I don't know if you've done a lot of the Merchant's Quest, but I know there's, like, cannonball crates and stuff that you can get in the Merchant's Quest. I'm wondering if maybe it's a good strategy to try and, you know, purposely get some of these cannonball crates, have extra cannonball on your actual ship. That is, way to do this. that is really smart, Derek. I would have never thought of that. Yes, I mean, because I know there's, like, you know, cannonball crates, banana crates, and wood crates, so, like, maybe the strategy that will really help out is to do a merchant's quest first, get one of these crates, fill it up, and then you have extra storage to use. So I, I think that would really help out. That's a really smart idea that I very well may employ now. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, let me know how it works out for you when you do. So I will. I think, like, like I was saying, I think that the biggest thing that, that Rare wanted was for people to play together. I was reading a press release where they had mentioned that, that they were they were surprised that people kept fighting each other instead of they would do all of these different things like the Skull Forts and the Megalodon and the Kraken. And they were still finding that PvP was people's biggest thing. They liked fighting on the open ocean. So I think their biggest reason for implementing something like this, where you're fighting other ships on the open ocean, is to get people to work together so that and but still sate them as far as the, the, the open ocean fighting goes. And I think it was a really unique way for them to do that to try and get people to, to pull together for a, a, a an experience together. What I wish they would do though is allow you to choose to join the same server that would be nice yeah i mean i think the fear with that though is i do know there's a lot of like fleets and stuff already built on discord where there's a lot of groups on discord already and i think the fear is that like say you know four of these ships that are you know part of the same clan on discord all get into the same server and then they gang up on one ship i think that's kind of the fear with that yeah no and i mean that that would be would be so subpar to say the least uh let's let's say at the beginning when you're dropping in you know you can choose what what type of ship you want when you're starting let's say you could also choose what type of server you want you want a a, a, a join server and or you want a closed server where you can you can join in with a bunch of others that we can do events like this because it's so hard to find like you were mentioning earlier another ship that wants to 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 go against these skeletons with you especially depending what time of day you're gone, if there are any other ships out there. If you want us to play together, give us a way that we can play together. Right, definitely, because 
I would love to, you know, work with someone else to do this, but it just seemed like no one else really wanted to. I mean, we had like two other ships in the area and they didn't really respond to us. So we're like, well, okay, I guess we'll just kind of, you know, be on our own and see what happens. Absolutely. That would be my my biggest suggestion for Rare is to allow us to have more than four people in a party at the same time, preferably on multiple different ships. So if I, you know, if let's say there's six of us who want to play uh, together, we can we can get on two different ships and we can sail together, maybe a sloop and a, and a galleon or two brigs um, or whatever. Uh, just let us let us sail together as a group. And then, you know, maybe we'll maybe we will find randos. But mo- I have not found that to be the case. Right. I agree. I mean, I know in doing the hungering deep, we actually found a random guy that, you know, wanted to work with us on it. So it was you know lucky in that sense, because we had a four man galleon and we found a one guy on a solo sloop and he just worked with us. But those situations, I think, are more rare. And I think what they've found a lot, and I've heard from a lot of people in the community, is when these new DLCs drop, for the first two days or so, everyone works together. But after that two-day period, it seems like no one really works together anymore. Yeah, I just think I think this would resolve a lot of those issues. But I, I mean, I do see what you're saying that you know we you also don't want to see you know six six different uh, fully stocked galleons going up against one sloop like that's yeah owning <laughs> like, literally um... <laughs> owning the seas that would be terrifying but also it would be an experience you won't get anywhere else to sail with six full galleons that would be an amazing <laughs> that feeling that is definitely true no I, I think it would be nice maybe if they just like somehow can limit it to okay you can invite you know one of the ship with you like then it would be a little bit more fair if you know say I had a three-man ship, and you had a three-man ship, and we both jumped on the same server. Like, I don't think that would be that unbalanced if they somehow made it so you can only do one ship each. Yeah, let's say at the venue, you can, you know how you can create your party, and you have, you know, four people, and then you jump into the game. Let's say you you have that so you can have up to eight people in the party, and then you can decide how you want to split up the group. Right. Or maybe, like, in the opening menu, they have uh, something where if you pick your ship, like, say you're picking a galleon, and before you start, it says, do you want to align with another ship? And you can hit like, yes, and, you know, pick which one a ship, you know, I yes, I want to align with a sloop. And maybe it'll actually make it so you jump in a server with a sloop already aligned with you. And, you know, it kind of like makes it so you can't actually hurt each other because you're already in alliance. Yeah, that would actually be really cool as well. So like you might not even know the people you're aligning with, but at least it already makes it so you're kind of in an alliance already and you work together. Yeah, that would be really, really cool. I hope they implement something to be allowed to play with more than three other people. No, I agree. I mean, it definitely would be a lot more fun that way. Like, this is a game that, you know, it's really fun to play with others. And I want to play with more people. It's just it seems like a lot of people don't really want to, you know, work together because like even taking out a fort, I would love to take out a fort with other people. I mean, I have no problem sharing the loot. Like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'll be down to share loot with anyone. Like, it's fine with me. I mean, I just wanted to work together. Well, I mean, for sure, if they were if they were my friends, if they're randos, my favorite thing in the world is is having them do all the work and then killing them and taking all their <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's a pirate. Right. That's being a pirate. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just more of a friendly pirate. I mean, I just like to you know work together with people. But that that's fair. I mean, if they if they pull their weight, you know, they they at least deserve something. But I'm just a pirate that keeps my words. I'm a rarity, I guess. <laughs> The honest pirate's the first to sink. Yes, that is true. I probably would be the first to sink. <laughs> You're too good for this world, Derek. I guess so. <laughs> Maybe that's why I wasn't a pirate back in my last life, you know? That's the reason right there. 
<laughs> but um, just a couple other things we didn't mention yet, though. One of the accommodations I think you kind of alluded to maybe is there was this these accommodations for Wanda's workshop, Wanda's journals, and Wanda's alchemy lab. I think that's what you said your friend was like looking at all the journals because like you, I just kind of jumped right in. So I don't know a lot about this Wanda stuff. Do you know anything about it at all? No. Um, it's uh, the the little bit that I know is that their skeletons started attacking the outposts and all of the merchants ran or some of them ran. All of them were scared and that the skeleton crews are demanding that we turn over all of the, the goods and services offered on the outposts. And uh, they turned one one guy into a parrot or into a skeleton that can still talk. And then you have to go around and you have to find all of Wanda's journals. And you go back to the ma- to the starting island and you tell them what happened to Wanda. Which honestly, I didn't I didn't read any of it. I just ran ran through it as fast as possible so I could start fighting ships. Well, that's really interesting, actually. It sounds like I missed a lot of like story there because I definitely enjoy stories. So. It's definitely something I want to jump back in and check out then, because like I said, I basically just read the opening flag where you just, you know, go attack somebody and I just went out to attack them. So it sounds like I missed a lot of story with this Wanda stuff. And I definitely want to check that out now. Yeah, no. And I mean, that I think that's another thing that Rare is so good at. They don't they don't create, you know, a, a game where you just you're playing. They create an experience. And I think that just says a lot about about the company as a whole. And like I, like I was saying earlier, it just kind of brings it back to like, you have a game like let's take Star Fox for example like that 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 game could be really simple you fly around in a ship and you shoot but you take it to the next level by adding an entire story arc and and you know your father into it and all of this stuff it's it just adds an extra layer onto a game that I think Rare does that better than anybody else no definitely and I love that about them where they create these worlds that you can really you know invest some time into so it's definitely a lot of fun that way absolutely but one other thing we did mention some of the other ships coming up I guess real quick, we can just mention some of the crews that are coming in the third week, August 15th to the 21st, and we can kind of like maybe speculate real quick on them. One of these crews is the crew of the Sirens Gale. Do you have any theories about what that might be? Uh, Sirens Gale. So that would be uh, the Mermaid Winds, right? Yeah, it sounds something like that. I mean, like maybe it's maybe the kind of what I was theorizing possibly is like, you know how you can find barrels in the water? Maybe it's something like that where... It looks like it's barrels in the water, and then you go to get them to restock, but then it ends up being, like, something that attacks you. It's kind of theory I had, maybe. With Gale, I'm thinking winds, so maybe there's just, like, a lot of winds that are always changing direction, so it's hard to to tip your sails in any one direction. Actually, that sounds like a better theory. I mean, I I would definitely subscribe to your theory more than mine now that I hear it, so that definitely sounds pretty good. But another one is the Sandman's Revenge. I mean, the theory I have for this possibly is the skeletons already respawn as it is, but maybe this is something where it makes it even more difficult where, you know, the skeletons, if one dies, it respawns with two of them and it kind of multiplies them. Ooh, what makes you say that? I mean, it just made me feel like, you know, Sandman's Revenge, it kind of seems like something where it would be more revenge-esque where they'd actually, you know, have more enemies coming at you. Hmm. Have there been any events thus far in relation to the Sandman where he would need to be getting revenge? No, I mean, there's been no mention of him ever, as far as I know. So, I mean... maybe uh, With Sandman, I think sleep. So, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it puts you to sleep and, or it blacks out your screen or something. Definitely a good theory as well, yeah. I mean, because I think I was thinking more Underworld when I was thinking that. So, maybe that's why I thought of that. But oh, okay. 
but it definitely could make a lot of sense if they shoot you with the same man's revenge, you know, cannonball, and then your whole crew falls asleep or something. That would be kind of crazy. That would be. That would be intense. <laughs> Imagine just, you know, if you get hit by that cannonball, you all fall asleep, and then you see the skeletons jumping on your ship. It's like, oh, well, you know, how are you guys doing? I'm just sleeping here. <laughs> There's nothing I can do. Yep. <laughs> that would be kind of crazy. But then the last one is the Black Piper. I mean, obviously, this one makes me kind of think of snakes. I don't know if it feels the same for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was thinking you're poisoned. You pretty much have to just constantly be eating bananas and run through your supply, like, instantly. Right. I was thinking the same thing, where it has the same effect as a snake biting you, and it kind of poisons you, and you just use a lot more bananas that way. Yep, that makes the most sense I mean, to me. I guess there is a possibility it could actually involve snakes somehow. Like, maybe the Cursed Cannibal hits your ship, and then suddenly snakes spawn on your ship that'd be kind of interesting as well that would be insane that would be cool though it would be kind of cool you know the cannonball hits your ship you go below deck to repair it and then all of a sudden oh there's two snakes here what are they doing here yeah just <laughs> sprint past that's <laughs> like damn it how did these snakes get here <laughs> no i think the possibilities are really endless is what they these things could be so i'm definitely curious to check out these and see what they actually are me as well i'm excited but that's kind of like all the things i had on cursed sales did you have anything else to add on that no i think it's it's great dlc i love what rare is doing i think i've i've, I've made that point very clear and i i just love the fact that they're continuing to support this game and as always, making it free. Um, I, I think something that we didn't mention is all of the extra things that they added. They didn't just add, you know, an entire new game mode and new events and new story, but they added new costumes and ship ship details, which is amazing to me. Co true. Costumes is one of my favorite parts. You ask any of my anybody that I play with, I'm always changing my outfit and I'm trying new things and and mixing and matching. Um, so I, I, I always love when they're adding new costumes and new things for me to, to wear and look at. And some of these ship, uh, these new ship sails and, and paint jobs are absolutely amazing. No, I agree. And if you actually beat the, um, skeleton aspects of the cursed sails, you can get more doubloons for the bilge rats and you can actually use these doubloons to get like really special customization options so those are cool too absolutely i love customization options uh probably more than than any of the other things but i i also did hear that to get a lot of the the custom uh sales and ships is absurdly expensive like half a million gold expensive oh yeah i mean the legend stuff when you get to legend i think it cost don't quote me, but I think it was like nine hundred thousand it cost you to get all of the legend stuff when you get to legend. Yeah, that's that's insane. It's I crazy. mean, I, yeah. I barely spend any money right now. I did early on, but I haven't since. Um, the only thing I really spend money on is either if I need to buy a buy a, a quest or if I want to upgrade to the next level within the the quest keepers, um, gold holder right. and all of that. Other than yeah, that, I'm the same I way. Really I kind of hoarded it. my gold because like I want to wait for something that like oh wow this customization really catches my eye like. That's kind of what I hoard my gold for, just in case something really catches my eye at one point. Yeah, unless there's something limited edition, like the uh, the bear and the bird uh, for Banjo. Like, that I bought because I, I was only going to be able to get it for a certain amount of time, and I think it was wicked cheap, too, though. Yeah, I think it was, like, 2,000 gold in 1998, based on the year, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm with you. No, I know one of the other customizations I bought um, back early on, too, was, like, the Launch Crew Eye of Reach. And it says, like, launch crew on it, and it's like a beer bottle that's, like, kind of made into a scope, which is kind of cool. I don't know if you bought that one. 
Um, I don't believe I did. Yeah, that one was kind of cool, too. It was only lim- available for a limited amount of time, but it's basically an Eye of Reach, and it's got, like, a wine bottle or something that is green, so you look through the scope, and it's green, and it says launch square on the side of it, so it's kind of like, you know, a makeshift Eye of Reach, which is kind of cool. That is. That's wicked cool. Which I think that's cool that they're doing all these, you know, unique customizations that are only available for a limited time, so it gives people a reason to keep checking out the game. It does. Uh, now, I had heard something from some of the beta testers that there were some, um, there were some exclusive prizes that were, or you know, uh, unlockables that were given out to people um, who were who were early access or who were who were doing certain things um, before everybody else that were actually going to be released to the Gen Pop. So, my question would be, what's the point of wanting to be a beta tester if you, the only real thing that you get is a couple of a couple of weeks head start on some of these things. Yeah, I mean, for some people, that's all it really takes, though, because I know a lot of people, like, even if a game, you know, if you say, oh, it's paid early access, you know, people will pay to get that early access just to say, yeah, I played it before anyone else did. So, like, I know um, for a lot of games, what they're doing is if you pre-order it, you get it like four days early or something like that. So a lot of people really love, you know, having that early access. So I think for some people that, you know, makes it, but... For other people, I mean, I'm not one of those people. Like, for me, it doesn't really matter to me if I get the game a couple days early because it's going to be the same game. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think I think having exclusive content that people get for for pre-ordering or to for for being beta testers, for, for putting themselves out there and into a game that hasn't proven itself yet and isn't a finished product, I think they deserve something that... Uh, other people can't have access to not you know just having it a couple days early that's that's just my take i myself am not that type of person um so i guess it's there's no no point in me making the argument but uh, that's just how i i would feel about it no i agree i mean i guess it just depends on the person essentially but that's fair. i think they should have some customization options like that but i think that's pretty much all we had on the curse sales though i mean i think it's definitely a great dlc if no one's tried it yet I would definitely recommend trying it. I mean, and like we said earlier in the episode, one of the cool things about it is if you own the game, it's free. You know, you don't have to pay for it at all. You just go there, download it, and you're good. So that's one of the really cool things that Rare is doing with Sea of Thieves and all the DLC from now until the game ends, you know, years from now, it's all going to be free. Now, did they turned off Skull Forts and the Kraken currently, correct? I didn't hear that because I didn't play long enough to find out myself. But is that what you heard? That is what I heard, and I have not seen okay. a Skull Fort pop since um, since this DLC dropped, and I have not seen the Kraken since either. Megalodon's still going strong, possibly stronger than ever. Uh, but it seems they took out those other two things to kind of focus on on this DLC and work out the bugs, as it were. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense to me. I mean, the reason why I haven't really noticed myself is because, like I said, I mean. I didn't have a ton of time to play yet, so I just jumped right in and went right for the skeletons. So I didn't focus on anything else at all, but that's kind of for me. That makes sense. But I mean, it definitely would make sense because I don't see why they want people, you know, going for skeleton forts when they have like this really cool, you know, skeleton ship event instead. Like I would much rather face the skeleton ships and try that out. So I think the idea to force people that way. I think the idea also might be if you're trying to look for a canon excuse for this is that the skeletons aren't on the skeleton forts anymore. They're instead sailing around in the open seas that is true yeah that, that's kind of like a lore explanation probably is that they're all following these crews now and you know they're trying to take you out so they all migrated there as for kraken I, I got nothing for that but maybe it's scared well maybe they're reworking the kraken to make it a little bit more tough because i mean i know that was kind of like a big deflation point when or the game's launch 
everyone kind of thought the Kraken was going to be this amazing thing and it ended up just kind of falling flat where like the Kraken was really easy to beat. So maybe they're reworking to make it harder. I mean, the Kraken, it kind of depends on the situation. Like if you're trying to sail out of a storm and then the Kraken pops up or you're facing again off against an, another ship and then one of you sails into the Kraken or both of you, all of a sudden it, it does become a big deal. Um, you know, if you if you're just sailing around in open days like that's then it's not. But I think it, it did on the timing um, that it can become, you know, a really big deal. And personally, I like the way the Kraken is right now, but I can see people wanting a, a harder challenge. Yeah, to me, I mean, I like the way the Meg operated more. I think the Meg is kind of the challenge that the Kraken should have been because the Meg actually does a lot more damage to you. And I think if they just increase the damage that the Kraken does, that'll make it a little bit fairer. Yeah, well, that's fair. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Kraken, like, it doesn't really damage your ship that much unless the tentacle wraps around your ship. So maybe if they just made the tentacles a little bit more active where it wraps around your ship more often, that would help too. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with your accuracy with cannonballs too and your ability to, to fight it off quickly and work as a team. Um, so, I mean, I can imagine it's much more difficult for people who are either A, not well-versed in the game, or B, not very good at working together or shooting the cannons. Very true, which I think that's kind of like the key thing is what you said there, that if people aren't really versed in the game yet, then it probably is really challenging for them. So as someone that's played a lot of the game already, I think that's probably why I find it a little too easy. And I think that's what a lot of like the experienced players are finding. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. But yeah, I hope everyone, you know, kind of enjoyed this talk on Sea of Thieves. I, I definitely enjoyed talking about it with you. So definitely thank you for coming in with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I love this game. I've been itching to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. And and, <laughs> uh, and you, every I, I listen to every episode and it, it's always so good. So thank you so much for having me on this amazing podcast. No, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And if you want to give people one more plug about We Need to Talk and let them know where they can find it. We Need to Talk, you can find it at uh, WNTTpodcast.com. You can find it at podcastnh.com, uh, which is a network of just New Hampshire-based podcasts uh, that Derek himself is also a part of. Definitely, and I try to plug that every episode, so hopefully people have been checking that out, which you were just telling me before the episode, we're actually up to 19 podcasts in the network now, which I didn't even know. I thought it was still about 15, so. 19 podcasts, you have discussion ones, you have video game podcasts, you have uh, pop culture, some just breaks around music, some that are like radio. Anything you're looking for in a podcast, you're going to be able to find on podcastnh.com. Definitely. There's even like fishing, wrestling, and hunting podcasts as well, so. Absolutely. And every single one of them is outstanding. There was actually a podcast movement recently, which was uh, a huge event. And one of the shows on our network won the award for uh, for the, the TED Talk podcast, um, the, the next award. And he took it back home to New Hampshire. Uh, it's a huge belt, solid metal, and it looks amazing. And that is a huge honor in an international event for somebody in our network to win that and, and br bring it home. No, definitely. It's really amazing. And I think that was the Fish Nerd that won that, right? It was. It was Clay from but, yeah, Fish yeah. Nerds. Absolutely. I so, yeah. Yeah, and I've listened to this podcast, and I'm not someone that knows anything about fishing, but just to give them a quick plug, I mean, even for someone that knows nothing about fishing at all, like, I really love listening to this podcast. Like, he does a great job with it, and it's really entertaining. He does. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I think you'll find that about any of the shows on the network. I agree completely. But just a quick couple notes that we talked about at the top of the episode. I will mention one more time, we'll have a new State of Decay episode on Saturday, and I will be streaming from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday for State of Decay 2. So that's the plan for that. And I will announce really quick that on August 17th, which is Friday, that's next Friday, 
I actually can't stream that day, but I will let everyone know what day I will replace that with. So that's a couple of quick notes on that. But if you want to get in touch with me, then you can do so on Twitter at Blaze Experience. My gamer tag is the same thing, just Blaze Experience, which is capital B-L-A-I-S-E, capital X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. And you can contact me on email, theblazeexperience at gmail.com. And you can also join our Discord, which will be in the show notes. And I know you mentioned We Need to Talk. Is there a special place to contact We Need to Talk, like email or anything, if they want to email you? Facebook.com slash We Need to Talk Show. Twitter.com slash WNTT1. That's the numeral one. Um, and then, uh, of course you can, you can check us out on the website or, uh, podcastnh.com and any of those places we're more than happy to, uh, to answer you. Definitely. And I definitely recommend checking it out. I mean, I was on two episodes as well. So if you want to check out episode 109 and 110, I was on those episodes. So definitely check that out and see if you like it. I think you will. Well, outstanding. Thanks again, Derek. And, uh, I, I look forward to, to sailing with you sometime. That'll be a lot of fun. Definitely. I would definitely love to sail with you anytime. So hopefully we can do that soon. Absolutely. But thank you to the listeners for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you once again for checking out the Blaze Experience.